Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Chinese electric vehicles are Trojan horses collecting data at the behest of Beijing. So the U.S. government seems to think. Last week, the White House announced an investigation into whether Chinese EVs pose national security risks. President Biden likened these EVs as smartphones on wheels, which could collect sensitive data in the U.S. and could even be remotely controlled by Beijing. Now, the Trump administration administration imposed a 25% tariff on Chinese-made cars, a policy that President Biden kept in place. In 2022, the Inflation Reduction Act was introduced, which subsidizes new energy vehicles, bar those with Chinese-made batteries. Is the U.S. taking what China sees as trade protectionist measures to a whole new level? Do Chinese EVs really pose a national security threat to the U.S.? As China becomes a leading EV manufacturer, an exporter can such measures step on the gas for American car makers. Welcome to a special edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by Professor Zhang Gong, Vice President of Research and Strategy at the University of International Business and Economics, Israel. From Brisbane, Australia, by Warwick Powell, adjunct professor at Queensland University of Technology uh, and a senior fellow at Taiha Institute, a think tank. And from Shanghai, by Joseph Mahoney, professor at East China Normal University. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. So let's take a closer look at uh, what's being announced. The White House statement released on February the 29th says, connected vehicles collect large amounts of sensitive data on their drivers and passengers regularly use their cameras and sensors to record detailed information on U.S. infrastructure, uh, interact directly with critical infrastructure and can be piloted or disabled remotely. Therefore, President Biden is announcing unprecedented actions to ensure that cars on U.S. roads from countries of concern like China do not undermine U.S. national security. Professor Gong, what caught your eye in that uh, announcement I just quoted? Well, first of all, I agree that electric vehicles do collect a lot of data. Um, but whether the data is concerning a national infrastructure as perceived as posing a threat to or risk to a national security, that's an entirely different set of questions, and I, I think it's all debatable. But another thing that bothers me is that, as far as I know, there's not a single electric car being made in China currently sold in the United States, if I'm correct. There are some buses, I know, made by BYD actually being sold in the United States. But why does the White House uh, issue something like this just bothers me? On the other hand, we know for a fact that there are millions and millions of uh, American-made electric cars under the brand name Tesla, as we all know it, uh, being sold in China. They're sold like hotcakes, you know, they're very popular. I don't think Chinese government has taken any action uh, of the similar vein like the White House has done, uh, and it's all okay. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Tesla's doing great business here in China. In addition, China also exports a lot of electric cars to the European Union market as well. Uh, we haven't seen any European market taking such an action from a national security perspective. I think the idea that cars uh, that uh, bring so much convenience and you know amenities to people these days can pose a national security threat. That's something that that's mind-boggling to me. Mm. Professor Powell, what is your biggest takeaway from this uh, paragraph? And we also hearing this uh, countries of concern like China. What exactly does that mean? And what is the criteria for deciding which country is of concern to the United States, which country is not? 
category, I guess, that enables administrations to do whatever they wish to do. The passage that you read out um, highlights two things to me. The first one is that the United States already has 135 Apple smartphones operating across the country, um, most of which I think, or all of which are made in China at the moment. So the idea that a, um, a connected vehicle is a cell phone or a mobile phone on wheels um, implies, I guess, that there are concerns around the, uh, the capability of smartphones, which of course there hasn't been. And the reason, and this is the second point, is that nation states um, have the technical and regulatory wherewithal to actually govern not only where and how data is collected, but importantly, how it's transmitted and stored. Now, if you can't have confidence in your information technology, technical capability and regulatory enforcement apparatuses to manage that, then I think you've got some serious challenges. And the fact is, is that a report has come out recently which actually shows that the biggest number of data breaches globally has actually been in the United States, where data breaches have grown 300% in the last 12 months. So I think there are concerns around data security in the United States. And frankly, this issue about them being related to connected cars, so to speak, is a little bit excessive. Mm. Um, Professor Mahoney, I want, I want to get your take on this, but let's also listen to uh, Gina Raimondo, who is U.S. Secretary of Commerce. She said this on March the 1st. You know, it's like an iPhone on wheels. Imagine a world where there's three, three million Chinese vehicles on the road in America and, and Beijing could turn them all off at the same time. So, Professor Mahoney, what is your take? Is she really talking about something as a real case scenario? Well, as John noted, uh, there are almost no uh, Chinese EVs in the U.S. Uh, this is because of the tariffs that were started uh, during the Trump administration. And I think they've actually increased to 37 percent uh, since Biden has been in office. But nevertheless, most security experts agree that the real risk of espionage or even sabotage even if there were uh, some critical mass of, of Chinese uh, EVs in the American market, would be relatively small and could be mitigated with easy rules uh, like those followed by Tesla uh, in China. Now, uh, we've seen this type of scaremongering with other uh, Chinese technology products, including Huawei and TikTok, uh, where the imagined uh, ghost in the machine is always uh, China. And I think we should recall that uh, uh, Ramondo actually called uh, again, uh, China in this in that same press conference, I believe, uh, America's foreign adversary. Uh, but, you know, the real concerns here relate to U.S. protectionism, economic warfare, global strategy and domestic politics in the midst of a presidential campaign, especially in battleground states like Michigan, where the U.S. Uh, traditional automobile industry uh, enjoys its historical base. Well, Raimondo um, denied that these are for winning votes, and she also denied these are protective measures. Professor Gong, what are really the consideration behind these measures? We have seen a slew of actions against Chinese brands, such as Huawei, such as TikTok, and now EVs, although EVs are nowhere prevalent in U.S. markets. Do you see a pattern, a continuity of attitude or policy against these brands? My guess is that it could be a combination of reasons. I think certainly, um, you know, from a national security perspective, at this point where there's absolutely no 
practically no Chinese-made electric cars being sold in the United States. Raising an issue like this at this point, you know, does contribute to the speculation that it's very much uh, election uh, campaign motivated. And after all, as as Joe has just said. Michigan is a very critical state right now, and he's been in big trouble. I mean, there are 300,000 people living in Michigan of the Arab uh, heritage, of Muslim heritage, of Middle East heritage, and they're very, very angry. I mean, there's 100,000 uncommitted votes right now. I'm accounting for almost 30% of total votes cast in, in state of Michigan uh, Democrat primary. And that's a huge warning signal to him. So, so I think you know, there's absolutely reason to speculate that this is indeed an election-motivated issue. You know, after all, Michigan, you know, as Joseph said, is, a, is an auto state. Uh, a lot of auto workers, uh, remember, I think in 2022, when there was an auto, auto industry strike going on, and I think he went to Detroit and picketed <laughs> with the auto workers. So you know, I think he has to win Michigan period. If he loses Michigan, he's going to be kicked out of the White House. Mm. Professor Powell, do you agree that this is campaign politics that's, uh, you know, campaigning that's at play here? And he was talking about unprecedented action. What kind of unprecedented action could there be uh, if such an investigation does conclude that there is national security threat coming from these EVs from China? Look, I think it is 100% driven by domestic political considerations. And it has been the case now for the best part of the last five or six years, at least. Since about 2017, 2018, there has been a distinct change in the tenor of American public policy towards China in economic terms, driven in large part, I think, by an acceptance at that moment in time that the 30 or 40 years of effort prior to that to mould and shape China, as, as Jake Sullivan recently said, um, did not bear fruit. And from that time onwards, China has been seen in various terms as an adversary. In terms of so-called unprecedented actions, um, in effect, the American policy arrangement, if you will, has a number of choices before it. It could just simply ban certain vehicles um, or it could increase tariffs further. That's one option. The other option is to invest more significantly themselves to actually do something about their undercapacity, either from a private sector point of view, bearing in mind that the traditional autos um, or the legacy manufacturers, if you will, have been slow on the uptake in terms of this particular segment. Or of course, government could get more involved from a funding point of view, which I doubt would happen. And lastly, of course, there is the Hungary option, and that is for the US to open their arms to Chinese capital, Chinese know-how in this EV space, and secure domestic manufacturing capabilities in partnership with Chinese firms. I suspect they won't do that. Mm. China's foreign ministry commented on the US announced investigation on February 29th, and uh, here is a soundbite from the spokesperson of China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Let's listen in. These are discriminatory practices, clearly targeted at certain countries. China firmly rejects these measures. The Chinese government takes data privacy and security very seriously. We have never asked and will never ask any company or individual 
to collect or provide data, information, or intelligence located abroad against local laws for the Chinese government. We put forward the Global Initiative on Data Security. If the U.S. truly cares about data security, it can publicly endorse this initiative or make similar commitments. So here we have a similar issue. It's like deja vu. We've heard this concerning Huawei. We've heard this concerning TikTok. The U.S. decides that it's a national security matter, and China says these are trade protectionist measures. Of course, according to the World Trade Organization, which is supposed to be arbiter of whether a trade practice is protectionist or not, there are different definitions. But here, the U.S. says. We are for national security, and we are not going to go all transparent about it. We can impose certain issues so long as we have legitimate concerns. Whereas China says you need to have evidence.、Um, Professor Mahoney, are we again seeing the same kind of scenario playing out between the two countries? How can this be resolved? Well, you know, it's. I, I think that the key point here is that from Trump to Biden, we see a lot of continuities in terms of an emerging、uh, grand strategy. Uh, aiming to uh, sustain uh, U.S. hegemony and imperialism、uh, globally, perhaps even moving back to some sort of uh, uh, Cold War、uh, paradigm. Now, you know, we can talk about、uh, why the U.S., for example, has resisted、uh, China's call for the Global Initiative on Data Security. In, in part,、um, we know this is because、uh, the U.S. employs、uh, double standards.、Uh, this is, in fact,、uh, one of the key、um, characteristics. Of a hegemon,、uh, of a, an imperial country,、um, is is to employ double standards to hold、uh, people uh, to to a standard that、uh, doesn't apply to themselves. That's what makes imperialism and, and hegemony、uh, possible. So、um, you know, it's all the more ironic、uh, that the U.S. is is constantly concerned about Chinese technology when we know for a fact that the CIA has actually uh, created uh, technology companies and sold products. To allies in order、uh, to spy on them,、uh, the U.S. spies on everyone, and everyone knows this. And even spies on members of the Five Eyes,、uh, these、uh, nations that、uh, in turn help the U.S. spy on other countries, including China. So again,、uh, this is a double standard,、uh, but it's an understandable one in so much as it is the nat it is natural、uh, in a competitive nation-state system uh, uh, for one country to spy on the other. And to try to restrict the extent to which it can be spied upon. But again, this issue really isn't about spying. It's about economic protectionism and about domestic politics. And one thing to add to to something about domestic politics that we neglected before, which is, it's true that、uh, both the Republicans and the Democrats are uh, are, are uh, promoting bipartisan. Uh, efforts against China, including on EVs, but the the reason why the Republicans are doing it is because they're anti EVs altogether.、Uh, they think that climate change is a Chinese plot that's trying to drive American automakers and the oil industry out of business. So this is where there's some fractures、mm. in the American approach. Yeah. Well, if we're living in this current system, which we cannot change overnight, what? How do we deal with it? I guess that is the the bigger question, and how we、uh, how do we understand it? I mean, for instance. In terms of China and the United States, this is not the first time it, such a dispute has happened. Is there a feasible way for the two countries to resolve such issues, or the U.S. is going to continue to deploy the excuse of national security and suppress Chinese businesses? At least that's the、um, impression from China. 
Professor Gong. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, you know, I, I totally agree. Actually, that there got to be some regulation about you know data usage in the automobile industry. I think uh, you know for all practical purposes, uh, th th these cars are indeed collecting a lot of data. And you know, if you think about from a national security perspective, you know, how do you handle that data uh, from the perspective of protection of uh, privacy, also protection of uh, national security. That's all understandable. But I think the issue is that um, you know these how to do these things and uh, what type of regulations. These are the things can be discussed by the two governments, I and mean, there got to be some dialogue between the two sides. After all, those both two countries are, um, you know, one of the largest manufacturers of automobiles. I mean, they are the leaders in the automobile industry, the global automobile industry. So, uh, so, um, so as the cars are becoming more and more connected, more and more using um, cellular technologies to be connected, I think there is a legitimate reason that uh, you know some kind of a regulation, or what type of regulation, discussion about these regulations should be happening. Uh, at the national level between the two sides. And mm -hmm. I think maybe even involving uh, Germany, Japan, you know, there got to be some discussions like this. That I totally agree. Yeah. Well, are there this kind of discussion happening under the current geopolitical situation, Professor Powell? Because China, as, as we mentioned just now, China did put forward this global initiative on data security in September 2020, calling, among other things, that states should respect sovereignty, jurisdiction, and governance of data of other states and shall not obtain data located in other states through companies or individuals without other states permission of course the US and uh, other major Western countries have no reaction to this initiative uh, um, is there any hope any leeway at all that some kind of uh, negotiation or coordination can take place on an international level so you have at least some kind of rules not just anybody taking unilateral action and say I suspect you and I'm going to take action against you uh, regardless of how you feel about it I suspect that over the next few years there will be forces that will in effect drive nations to adopting rules that are actually quite similar, if not identical to each other, in relation to data sovereignty. Now, the US has actually resisted this for a long time, in large part because, historically, it's American big tech straddling the world that has been able to hoover up data of citizens and businesses from other countries and passing that on both to the American state and security apparatuses as well as selling that data on the open market. So until now, it actually hasn't been of particular concern to the administration. That said, given this particular issue that is emerging around EVs in this case, it is putting data sovereignty onto the agenda. And it's an issue that China's actually played a very leading role in. And interestingly, the European Union has also been highly sensitive to data security of its citizens, in large part because over the last five years or so, it's actually American big tech that has been most at fault in terms of stealing the data of EU citizens. So I think that whether or not there is explicit dialogue around these issues, the objective forces and conditions are going to drive nations mm. towards something that looks quite similar.
Um, Professor Mahoney, uh, do you think China uh, will be able to do something, the Chinese government will be able to do something if unprecedented actions are taking place uh, against the Chinese EVs, if the investigation turns out to be unfavorable against China? Well, I think, uh, first of all, let me say I agree with Warwick. Uh, I do think that we are moving in the trend of some sort of global agreement. We have to. Uh, because I don't think ultimately that this uh, Cold War or, or division is going to work out. Um, and I think that we've seen some reception, some positive reception in Europe for this type of uh, initiative. Um, you know, if we look uh, at the investigation from a positive point of view, uh, Biden could have uh, put in place uh, already uh, some poison pills. In fact, a number of poison pills are already in effect that have uh, completely limited uh, Chinese entrance. But nevertheless, um, there, there's some idea that perhaps an investigation versus simply killing China's access at this time is meant to delay, on the one hand, appeal to domestic voters in a, in a highly uh, polarized election, but also to delay decisions because Biden does want uh, a green transition, at least rhetorically. Right. And the only way you can achieve that green transition is with uh, not only Chinese EVs, but parts and batteries being made by, by Chinese companies, which many of his adversaries and, and green uh, transition adversaries are also targeting. So it may be that this is a delaying tactic. It may be that uh, Biden hopes that if he's reelected, hmm. that this can be revisited in a less politicized yeah. way. Is it going to be effective, though? Exactly as you say, China is powering full ahead. Chinese President Xi Jinping just said very recently that it is essential to choose the right path for technological innovation, leverage the strength of the new system for mobilizing resources nationwide in a joint effort to achieve breakthroughs in core technologies in green energy fields. So China, on the one hand, is going all out, right, to, to become even more competitive in terms of new uh, energy vehicles and related industry, whereas at this moment, U.S.'s big legacy automakers for General Motors, for instance, are, are experiencing heavy losses in EV division. The two countries are cutting uh, costs in the sector and stepping up efforts to make more EVs. Professor Gong is the kind of unprecedented action envisioned going to work to narrow the gap between the two sides? Well, I think, um, the, you know, the Biden administration is, is taking a setback uh, because of the EV costs, uh, or actually in these days, in the United States, not so many costs being sold, or pickup trucks, <laughs> or SUVs. Um, and they're not selling so well these days, uh, unfortunately. But the, here in China, we know there's a boom for, for that kind of a vehicle as well. You know, same things happening in Europe. I think the reason that the EV industry is so successful in China is purely because of market competition, in my view. Um, if you look at the number of cars, uh, brands uh, uh, in, on, on the Chinese market, I mean, there are almost like, you know, three-digit number, almost a hundred brands so far. I mean, this is kind of a market, intense market competition. It's, it's not observed in other markets at all. Some people would argue that even, even Tesla's uh, Elon Musk said some kind of trade barrier would be necessary because Chinese EV manufacturers just extremely good, extremely competitive. So coming from the devil's advocate's perspective, <laughs> Professor Powell, I mean, other countries, other manufacturers are often left without a choice. Basically, we're seeing a reverse of what was happening at the beginning of China's reform and opening up, right? Foreign competitors so powerful and Chinese companies at a very much disadvantaged situation. How do you look at that? Um, broadly speaking, globally, there is a, um, a powerful set of trends towards moving away from internal combustion engines. 
And that trend is going to continue well into the future, in part because the competitiveness of these new energy vehicles is now at such a point that they are actually more cost-effective than the old ICE vehicles. This will matter in the developing world in particular, which doesn't have incumbent manufacturing capacity. So as the developing world, the global south, if you will, continues to develop, the ability for markets in those areas to access low cost, high performance, clean modes of transportation will just drive this technology and this industry in any regard. The European body politic is a little bit different to the American one in that there is much less of influence from the old um, oil industry, if you will. Um, interestingly, the European situation looks like one where, the, uh, as we know, BYD is setting up a factory in Hungary. Mm -hmm. um, and last week, or earlier this week, um, the Italian government has actually reached out to BYD to open discussions about BYD setting up a manufacturing facility in Italy because the incumbent manufacturer has already made noises in Italy that they intend on closing down and moving out. So there are many dynamics at work, traditional markets where the politics drives, um, uh, you know, the, the, the incumbent position of the ICE manufacturers. Yeah, look, that may retard the market, but it's a big world out there now, and it's a world that is crying out for the clean, green solutions. Yeah. Um, finally, Professor Mahoney, uh, I have the impression that the United States may well put a wall to protect its legacy, its traditional uh, auto manufacturing sector. But as Powell said, as Professor Powell pointed out, in the wild, wild world, uh, the, the trend is going to continue. People's needs for cheap, affordable and good cars, clean cars, will increase and there is a growing, a huge market out there. So if, if American companies cannot become more competitive um, on their own terms, uh, it's going, they're going to lose out um, this huge market internationally. Your take? Well, in fact, they've already lost out. And we should keep in mind that it was those legacy automakers that for decades uh, suppressed the development of uh, the green uh, uh, EV industry in the United States. And now they're, they're you know, reaping uh, uh, the, the, the sad crops of those efforts. I think the one key thing here that, that will be clear, uh, certainly I, I peer-reviewed a paper for a leading journal uh, that looked at this uh, recently, that what China did was make uh, um, uh, the EV market in China uh, very open to international competition. That's why we saw Tesla coming in and building a gigafactory in Shanghai. And China also supported core uh, investments in core science related to battery development. And this was mm -hmm. another thing where China has moved ahead. So it's really it's really head-to-head uh, -head competition and open and free market competition. This is a, a test case, and it's, it's sort of ironic that this is one of the reasons why the U.S. is saying that China should be restricted because they're not playing uh, by the rules. Mm. We have to leave it there. Many thanks to Professor Zhang Gong, Warwick Powell, and uh, Joseph Mahoney for joining me from different parts of the world. And many thanks for having followed this special edition of The Point with me, Lucien. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lushin in Beijing. You've got the point.